Welcome to Dallas. We're a community of faith that embodies the love of Jesus for the good of our neighbor and renewal of our world. We're so glad you're listening. I don't, I, I questioned this about a week ago. Is this genuine? Do I really not struggle with envy? I don't typically struggle with envy. There are a number of things that God has needed to work on deeply in me and still is. <laughs> a character development, there's a lot of areas of growth. I have not typically struggled with envy. There's, there's something I tend to envy, uh, I guess, more than many other times in life. I envy when I hear about a great idea, an inspiring idea, something that brings people together or creates no, uh, new or is motivating. I will hear this idea and not just think, oh my gosh, that's so cool, or oh man, that's going to go around the world, or that's going to end up in kids' classrooms. People are going to be talking about this, or that's going to be a new experience. I go to the place of envy where I wish so badly I'd been part of that idea, or I'd even just been in the room, just in the room when the idea was conceived. So I'm going to give you a couple, one or two examples here. Okay, so uh, two years ago, we were still in the height of COVID in the winter, February of 2021, when we landed our next rover on Mars. We've had a few land on Mars now. This was Perseverance. And I would sit at the dinner table and tell my family, like a big nerd, that my family mocks Mackenzie, not so much. Mackenzie appreciates this. But two other people in my family that I won't name will, will, will hear me say, hey, we're two days from Perseverance landing on Mars. And they'll just look at each other and look at me like, who let you be in this family? You know, kind of like, um, so the countdown was on and I was, I, I actually felt kind of nervous. Like, is it going to make it through the atmosphere? That kind of thing. So this is Perseverance. It landed in February 21. Super cool that we have this remote control thing that we can control on Earth and on another planet. But here's what's, I think, more cool. And most people don't know this. I brought it up then, like, isn't it? And they were like, What? This uh, rover, Perseverance, had attached to the underbelly, to the undercarriage, a drone. And actually, a dro drone is not the proper definition. The proper definition is an aircraft. It had what's essentially a helicopter attached to the undercarriage. They were nervous about whether it would survive the, the atmosphere and the landing. It did survive. They deployed it. And this picture was taken in April 21, the day after the blades were unfolded, and JPL and NASA cheered because everything's worked so far. The big question was, in, in Mars's dense, dense atmosphere, could we ever get anything to fly, like an aircraft with propellers? They weren't sure. There were some scientists that said probably not. Uh, it flew, and <clears throat> it's still flying, which is amazing two years later, here's the cool part that made me envy. <laughs> JPL flew here to D.C. and met with the Smithsonian and made a crazy ask of them. They asked if they could take off of the Wright Flyer hanging in the Smithsonian, in air, the, the first airplane, the Wright Brothers airplane, could they cut a one-by-one-inch piece of fabric off of one of the wings so they could place it on this aircraft called Ingenuity so that if this worked and we fly the first ever aircraft on another planet 
on board would be a piece of the first airplane that ever flew. And when I read that, and I was nervous. I was like, this thing's probably not going to fly. It flew. Here's the video from NASA. I think it's a six-second video of, of it actually flying, of its first flight. And I mean, NASA's cheering. If you watch the YouTube, JPL and Pasadena, they're cheering. I'm cheering. I, I may have had a little bit of misty eye in this, this eye here a little bit. And I know I'm a goober. Amy just doesn't understand. Like, why would you cry over this? All right, it's still flying. About once a month, they do another flight. It's remarkable. Uh, there's a flight of its own shadow, a picture of its own shadow. It's flying over the Mars surface. That's, that's a picture of itself. Uh, there's a crazy picture here of it fl uh, flying over the back shell of the spacecraft as it came into the, you know, that's the parachute. Um, it's super, super amazing that we're flying an aircraft around Mars. And man, I wish I could have just been a speck on the wall in those meetings coming up with these ideas. Disney Imagineers, there's still a part of me that dreams that maybe one day I'll be a Disney Imagineer. I envy some of the ideas I see people like that create. I'll tell you, here's another quick example. Whoever came up with vertical farming, when you think about human history, the greatest need, practical need that we have as humans from day to day is feeding ourselves. We don't understand that in our world. In the 21st century, we just don't think that way. In, 99.9% .9 of human history, the greatest need every day, immediate need, is how do we feed our family today? Can we cart on the horse enough food? Can we get to... And whoever came up with the idea, we don't need to be limited to just farming on one plane, like the acre of land can just only contain so much vegetation. We can grow farms up walls. And what that's doing for micro-economies today and the potential that that has to feed so many more people that are under-resourced. Oh, I'd love to have been in that meeting like, hello, why have we not been, why did we not think of this 100 years ago? Uh, if you struggle, let's say with your job, Maybe you come home in the evenings or you close the laptop and you feel like you're not contributing or investing in anything that's changing anything that makes any difference in the world. Maybe you're not working right now and you desperately want a job. Maybe life is not fulfilling in the area of relationships. You know, you see in the media and we have these perceptions of what friendships look like and there's a deep inner craving in us, but the reality is people have let us down and you're not even sure at this point of life if you even trust people anymore. Maybe you feel life is just not fueling you. You had dreams. You used to dream about your future, but you've gotten to the place of life where you just feel like, honestly, life just beats people up. It doesn't really leave us feeling excited or anticipating a future. I don't know. I don't know if I'm describing you or not. I bet I'm describing some part of your, your reality in your past or in recent memory. I think I'm probably describing a lot of people's realities right now. Here's the, the great news. And when I say great news, I'm saying this in the spirit of the word gospel, that Greek word that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John used, gospel means extraordinary news that has arrived for you and for your future. 
Here's the extraordinary news. And I know I'm biased. I know I'm biased about this. Please don't hear this coming out of me as a pastor. Well, Brad's a pastor. He's supposed to say these kinds of things. I say this because I followed Jesus. And I follow the one who had a dream about his church and what his church would look like. I believe we have the opportunity right in front of us. You and I do. Right here. Regardless of life beating you up or discouragement or disappointment in job or career trajectory or in people. I believe we have the opportunity right in front of us to be part of the greatest concept, the greatest idea, the greatest movement to ever descend upon this planet. And yes, I believe that concept is the church. I'm not talking about your grandparents' church I'm not talking about the church that we see in the news that divides people and argues and calls people out. I'm, not ta I'm talking about the church that Jesus dreamt about. The church Jesus envisioned that he created is the most exciting idea on earth. I'm convinced. Now, there's a couple problems with this, with people getting their heads around this concept. This is not the paradigm that we have today in society of church. In fact, you probably, those of you who love our church and you're so happy to be here, you probably battle the same concept. Well, my neighbors, don't. church isn't for my neighbors. Church isn't for regular society. Church is for small, meek, humble groups of people that come together. Churches don't actually change the planet for good, you probably struggle with this paradigm yourself. I mean, it's just so ubiquitous, the way we think about what church is. So I'm going to address a couple of the problems with this, this concept of the church being the greatest idea on earth. And there's probably many. There's probably many problems with this, getting our heads around this. I'm going to focus on two here quickly. The first being that people in society just us plurally in our culture have come to see faith as an extension of politics or political agenda. It is so deeply ingrained in our minds, it's hard to think differently. We see the church, we hear somebody speaking in the news or publicly, a pastor or a church leader, and we just immediately go into what's the political statement they're making. This is a statement about the right or the statement about the left. This began, it's interesting, there's, this is such a convoluted history, and just the short of it is the American Revolution did something extraordinary, and I'm forever grateful. I'm, 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 I'm so grateful to be an American. We're such a, still an imperfect country, and there's so many ways we need to advance and improve socially and otherwise, of course, but I am so grateful for this country. I'm grateful for the Revolutionary War. I'm grateful for the Civil War. I'm grateful for World War II. In the Revolutionary War in the, in the 18th century, the latter part of the 18th century, when we broke away from England and we created this concept of democracy, it, it spread around the globe. I mean, the globe, it, wow, the people are going to govern themselves. That is the remarkable of the Revolution. The travesty for the church is that the American church aligned itself quickly with the concept of revolution, specifically in 
personal freedom and personal self-governance, personal liberty. The church just, this is such a great concept. We think God is in it. He's freeing people. We started thinking of the church very much as a democracy and very much as a political, we just, we've come to the place, we've evolved to the place in history where the church has trouble seeing itself different from politics. And the outside world sees it clearly. And more and more and more, as we progress through generations, just society doesn't want to be a part of it. We get enough politics. We get enough in the news. We get enough on social media being told what to think about other people. I don't need a church criticizing more people and telling me who's wrong. The church has become so polarizing, so politically centered, rather than the most compelling safest place in the world for those outside the church. And I know many American Christians who would argue with me on this. They would say we should be, the church should be at war with culture. We should be protesting against and pushing back on. Thinking and mindsets that oppose us. People who vote differently than us. I'm so proud of our church. When I hear tidbits of people's political views, I just love that we have left and right and in the middle here together chasing something so much greater than what Washington, D.C. can do. I love that. I'm so proud of you and us. Somebody said recently they're still trying to figure out my politics. They've been listening to me for two years. They think, they think I'm right, and then two weeks later, no, I think he's left. And then I think, I love that. And you're never going to know. <laughs> and it's not that knowing doesn't matter. It's not that my politics doesn't matter. Be engaged. Care about your country. Vote. Pray for your leaders. It's not that it doesn't matter. It's that in the context of what Jesus came to do on this planet, it is not politics that's going to solve the problem of broken humanity. It is not going to happen ever. No politician no side of the aisle is ever going to heal and cure the human heart. Jesus came to do that. And it's the most exciting idea ever to, to come to this planet. Flying an aircraft on another planet, I think it's pretty cool. You might not, I think it's pretty cool. Disney Imagineers create environments that just make you think differently. Experience the world differently. They make you imagine. I love that. My nephew, Noel, worked for GM in Detroit for seven years. And he would tell me, it's so crazy. You know, everybody knows that next year's model car comes out this year. And I, I still don't know why that is, that 2024s are what are being sold now. Just seems like, let's just, let's just, next year, let's just make next year 2024 and we'll just do it right. Anyway, he said, it's not just that 2024s have come out. Of course, Every car maker is working on 2025s, but the technology advances so fast in this world, the world of engineering and automotive engineering. There are 2026 teams at GM and all the other, 2027 teams, and those prototypes are so developed already that the new concepts for 2028 and 2029 engines are already being tested. I think it's cool to see ideas and innovation that are going to sweep the planet. 
and fill classrooms and inspire people. I really do. Those things are super cool, my notes say, and will be all over the world. Okay, I'm back on track. But they are nothing of significance compared to what Jesus came to do in reconstructing humanity. And you and I get to be part of it. The idea of Jesus going into a lost and divided world, a world lost in selfishness, a world so demanding its own control, not wanting to give up control, that's the, that's the caveat here is to be part of this movement, to be part of the most exciting idea on earth, you've got to give up control of your life, of your resources, of your plans, of your dreams. Not that God doesn't want you to dream and has great plans for you. He, life only works when he's in control. That's, that's, that's the pathway to actually walk in what we're talking about today, the most exciting idea. And then he, he not only offers you and me this change of heart, how we think about people differently, how we think about our hurt differently, how we find freedom in real life when we let go of our patterns and our broken thinking. But then he allows us to influence others, to be part of the story of inviting others into this dream of his. Okay, here's the second. So the first problem is alignment with politics. The second problem I'm going to just put under the category is, is church as a location. And I'm going to start with this. Kerry Newhoff, who is a writer and leader to church leaders. He was a pastor for many years, and now he writes weekly to church leaders about concepts. And uh, he, he just wrote just recently about um, Lifeway Research's study of churchgoers, not outsiders. Be clear about that when I, when I tell you these numbers. Not people outside the church, people who in America who attend church regularly. They, they would consider themselves committed to a church. A study was conducted recently about, and it's called The Real Reasons People Skip Church. And the, the part of the summary of this, <laughs> this study says, you'd think this was a survey of teenagers, but nope. It features full-grown adults. The research confirms what pastors have suspected for years. People skip church because the weather is too nice or too nasty. They conducted the survey of people's excuses for skipping church. Weather topped the list, followed by wanting to sleep in, hanging out with friends. Rounding out the list in sixth place was watching a favorite sports team play. I love friends. I love sports. I went to bed last night heartbroken and angry that my Notre Dame Fighting Irish lost on the last play of the game. I was angry with God for a little bit. I got that worked out. I love sports. This isn't saying sports isn't great. This isn't saying you shouldn't spend time with friends. This is just, it, it, it's, it's being honest. And pastors know people, um, the American church, only 60% of the American church returned to church gatherings after COVID. 60%, 40%. Um, I've just not come back yet. All right, that's the setup to this bigger point here. There is confusion, and there has been for hundreds of years in the Western world, and you could go back even further than that in Western Europe, about what church, the concept of church is. 
And this is rooted in a misunderstanding of what Jesus meant when he gave us the word, the word ekklesia. So we're going to put this, this is the Greek word. Jesus spoke in Greek in, in, in Matthew 16 when he's asking this pivotal question that would change human history. He's talking to his disciples, the 12, and he's saying, okay, you guys have been with me a long time now. You've seen some crazy stuff, like the presence of God here on earth. What are people, what are people saying about me? Who do they say that I am? And all the opinion, well, we hear some people think you're a prophet. Some people think you're this amazing, wise guru. All these opinions. And, and Jesus says, okay, but what about you? You've been following me closely. And this, the answer, Simon's the first one who answered. He answered on behalf of the 12. It's the first time a human said this out loud. You are him. You are the Messiah. You've, you've come in the flesh to rescue humans. And we know it. We know it's you. We've seen the miracles. We hear the teaching. We see the power. It's you. And then Jesus responds, and this got confusing in the 300s and 400s. By the 5th century A.D., this had rooted as a very strong theology that Jesus announced he was going to build his church on Peter. And that is not what Jesus says. And anybody who studies the Koine Greek of what's being said here understands that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus replies, and on this reality that you guys understand, that God has come in the flesh to rescue humans, to move us back from brokenness and selfishness and needing to be in control, the awful things we can do to one another. He came to rescue us so much so that we're back to our garden-like state, Garden of Eden-like state, where we are imaging God. That's, the, that's, that's where the story concludes in the future. You and I will be imagers of God again. We have the opportunity to step into that now and to be, to be learning and relearning and our minds changing and our character growing as we become more like Jesus. Jesus responds and says, on that reality that I have come to rescue humans, I will build my ecclesia. The Greek word is ecclesia. I will build my church. Now, if I'm not careful, I could get in the weeds here quickly. Jesus changes Simon's name to Rock, and this is part of the confusion, why a lot of people have thought that Jesus was going to build his church on one church leader and then another church leader in another generation because Jesus said, on this rock, Peter, I'll build my church. Jesus changes Peter's name to Fieldstone, Petros. And he says, Simon, I'm changing your name to a building stone, to Peter. And then he uses a different word. And on this Petra, this giant boulder, this giant cornerstone, I'm going to build my church with field stones, building stones, just like you, Peter, and just like you, Andrew, and like you, John. And by the time we get to First and Second Peter, that Peter himself writes, he refers back to this. He says, you and I who believe that Jesus came to restore humanity, we are living stones being built and attached to one another to form the church. On this rock, on this reality of what God has come to this planet to do, I will build my church, and here's, this is the relevant part of this point this morning, and not even the gates of hell. If you, if you read this and think, oh, so this little sort of abstract, subjective concept of demons, 
Jesus is saying not even the forces of death and what oppress us at our worst points as humans, not even those forces can stand against the church. The church that looks like and sounds like and dreams like the one that I'm creating is what Jesus is telling us. Not even the forces of evil or hell itself can stand against this kind of church. Ecclesia, literally translated, means a purposeful gathering or movement of people. Here's the travesty, the tragedy. When the New Testament started to be translated all around the world, by the time it got to Germany, the Germans translated this word ecclesia, that we know in English it's church. They took the word ecclesia that Jesus spoke, and they translated it with the word kirsha. Kirsha, it, it doesn't look like church in English, but it influenced the English word, church. Phonetically, they're related. And Kirsha in Germany means a specific location. Kirsha is, you can go three blocks this way, take a left, and there it is. It'll be on the right. That's what Kirsha means in Germany. And in English, we adopted that concept of what church means. So since the start of our country and in so much of the Western world, church means a place you go, a building for about an hour, hour and a half, a small period of time during the week. You're reminded that God is real. You hear things that inspire you, and then you go back into real life. That is not what ecclesia means. When Jesus said, and upon my ecclesia, I mean, upon this rock, this reality, I will build my ecclesia. I will build my church. He's not talking about a location. We gather one time a week. We remind each other, cheer up, God's there, you don't see him, doesn't feel like it, he's there, now get back into real life. That's not what church means. Church is a movement. It is, and from the context of Matthew 16, we see specifically Jesus describing a group of people that believe a concept so deeply and they have experienced a reality so much that they become a movement that spills over into the surrounding areas. This is precisely what Jesus is describing. So let's take that idea, that proper idea, and let's talk about our vision. Vision, by the way, isn't just a cool concept. A vision is a picture of the future that inspires people in the present. I don't know what your company says. I don't know what your teams, what you were taught about leadership, of all the definitions I've ever heard of vision, this is the one that just resonates deeply with me. I've, I've, vision is a picture of the future that motivates you now. It motivates people today. So let's talk vision. At Dulles, we want to recapture the reality that our neighbors and our communities and the people in your life are desperate for. That resurrection is possible. That we don't have to say goodbye to someone that we loved forever. That dead things inside of humans, old corrupting things in our DNA and our, our, our software, our coding, can be rewritten so that we walk in life and we anticipate a future. Someone who's been told you've blown it or the, the, the replaying audio in their mind is you've blown it can be turned into something beautiful. 
that good and beauty can come out of bad. Creative life can be what we walk in. That's what our neighbors are desperate for. They're not desperate for what Mitch Mitch McConnell or what Nancy Pelosi or what Joe Biden or Donald Trump. That is not. No one is actually desperate for a politician to emerge to say the platform articulate, like with just beautiful words. What they're desperate for is to be told and shown the reality, seeing it inside of other humans, that we can be remade. We can be remade. There's actual, there's something that's happened on this planet. Something has hit this planet that gives us the ability to become what we really crave, which is ultimately imagers of God, co-creators along with God. Jesus didn't go to buildings and preach at people. Now, you could say, well, he... He spoke a lot in the temple. Well, he did, but he spoke to the people who would crucify him. He was challenging the arrogant church leaders of the day, the the, the religious leaders in the temple. The change in turning the world upside down happened when Jesus went to where people were. In their hurt. In their poverty. In their doubts. In their total screw-up messes of life. And he loved these people. Jesus related to them. He didn't preach at them. He related to them. He related to farmers. He told farming stories about who God is. He used pictures and concepts to fishermen where they would completely understand. This is who God is. God actually loves it. He's not a strict God of rules. And Jesus showed them what broken, what broken made whole looks like. What dead made alive inside of a human looks like. When I refer to Amy and I, I often do this, and I don't, I don't want to overdo it, but when I refer to, I, I often say our early marriage years where we struggled so much, we argued a lot, we just discovered how selfish we can be. I'm not saying those things to stand up in here and say, Amy and I have discovered we can be selfish. Just assume that about us, and I assume it about you. Uh, that's not, I, I'm telling you, These stories, I'm referring to them to tell you this is one of many realities where we've seen the power of Jesus change the way we think, the way we can treat someone, that he can soften us. He's humbled us. It has been a beautiful, beautiful experience for us when we woke up one morning and just realized we just do not like each other anymore. I haven't liked you for a couple of years. (laughs) She's like, I haven't liked you for three years. Well, well, I think for me it's been four years, you know. Instead, we have learned, and we're still learning, and we can still, we still, marriage just draws out selfishness. I think unlike anything else in life. I refer to that, and I could refer to a lot of other examples of how Jesus has changed my mind, my heart, my character. This is real stuff. This isn't a concept of happy talk to just get us through another hard week. Jesus either came to change humanity or he didn't. He came to start a boring religion. I'm convinced he came to change humanity. Andy Stanley. In Atlanta, we're partnered with Andy. He wrote in his book, Deep and Wide, every church should be a church that irreligious people would love to attend because the church is the local expression of the presence of Jesus. See, we don't think that. We think if we express out to the community what we believe, the community's going to be like, back off, religious people. Don't give me that Jesus talk. That's the world we live in because 
much of the church has been preaching at society. What our society needs to hear from you and me is where we've been broken. And something changed me. It made me softer and sweeter and more patient. Uh, sorry, Andy, I interrupted Andy's thought here. The church is the local expression of Jesus. We are his body, the church, and since people who are nothing like Jesus, like Jesus, people who are nothing like Jesus should like us as well. The day has come for that trajectory to end. People throughout human history who are nothing like Jesus like him. When they read his story, they like him. They just don't like us, the people who fill churches. That ends. That ends with us. I think people outside of our walls are desperate to love the Jesus that's changed you and that is inspiring you and is reversing corruption and old and dead and control and selfishness in you. I mean, we're trying hard to believe in aliens. We're trying hard to we'll believe anything that will give us hope. Let's give them the reality of what's changing us. There should be something about us that causes them to gather at the periphery of churches and stare. Like, I think I want to go there. I think I want to hang out with them more. All right, some examples quickly for here at Dulles. I'm not announcing that we've started these things. These are examples. This is dreaming. Okay, this is me now not envying because we're going to do it. We're going to dream together. What if, what if our church created a gaming event? Gaming events that drew video gamers. So that we could just get to know video gamers. Get to know their story. They get to know us. Maybe some trust is built. What if we created food events that not only have great food. And Steve Pasquale, who's running our lights this morning, he inspired this in me. Some time ago, and I love it. What if we create food events like we do on Super Bowl Sunday and other times that it's not just great food that we're tasting, but the area, our region understands that the food event is challenging everyone with what Steve coined as food for thought. What if we, what if underneath all of our food events, it's this, the goal of putting food for thought in front of people where we challenge people we challenge ourselves to think, how do we feed under-resourced people better? Let's create a food event where we all sit together and eat. We mingle, we taste great food. But in the context of that, we're dreaming about how do we make food more available to more people? And let's just call all of these events our food for thought events. I just, I loved it. I said, Steve, that is something you know, we're, we're, we're well on our way on Super Bowl Sunday. We've done it two years, and we're going to do more events like this. What if our marriage and parenting series, what if our marriage events here, parenting series that we create, help families see examples of imperfect people actually thriving together? What if we take church to our area's gathering site? Throughout history, in, in many cases in the, in the ancient world, the town would be built around the closest uh, freshwater stream or, or well. And it's interesting when you look at this in history, the water well of the town, the main drinking well, would become kind of the epicenter. It's where people gathered. 
Well, in Loudoun County and in Prince William County and in our region west of D.C., I think that gathering place is wineries and breweries. What if we go more and more to where people gather around us? Instead of just waiting, they're just going to walk in our doors one day. One day, we're just, people are just going to walk through. They're going, to, they're going to humble themselves and decide, I need to be in church. Why don't we do what Jesus did? Jesus went to the woman at the well in John 4. A Samaritan woman who was an outsider, who was considered unclean because she had five husbands, he went to her at her location, her gathering place, and had one of the most profound conversations with a person about what God's kingdom actually is, the heart of God for broken people. Not this strict, angry God. I mean, we learned so much in John 4 about the mercy and love of God for broken people. And it happened, and we know the story because Jesus went to where she hangs out. What if our studies and our labs here during the week, what if they stimulate people intellectually toward a God who's not against science, but the creator God who gave us science? to better understand the genius that is our God creator. What if our Super Bowl Sundays become known not as a time where we interview an athlete, like we do often on Sunday, uh, the last couple of years, a football player. What if our Super Bowl Sundays become known for not just the chili cook-off that happens afterward, but that that is a celebration for all the chili and all the food that we've collected all month long for people who really need help, who may not have a meal on Super Bowl Sunday. What if we became known for that? And people were drawn like, hey, I want, to be part, I want our kids to be part of that. What if our church's messages and descriptions and stories compel people away from political trust and political division toward Jesus-likeness, toward people who grew up different? This idea that churches are against people who grew up different than us, they think they vote differently than us, they pray different. Who on earth will allow that anymore? That's not the church Jesus started. Jesus went to people who prayed differently and looked differently and thought differently politically. Dr. Hitchman here, the principal of this high school, which next year will be the largest high school in Loudoun County already, he, he emailed me one day and said, this is about a year ago. Hey, Brad, uh, can we get on a short phone call? I need to talk to you about one of your church signs. And I thought, oh, no. One of our church signs has offended a neighbor or a school faculty or something. And, oh, man, what, is our, what are our church signs? I'm trying to remember what all of our church signs say. So I called him. He said, hey, one of your church signs says something that I think I want to say to all of our faculty and then all the parents of our students. Doesn't one of your church signs say, our enemy is division? And I said, yeah. And he said, I drove past it the other day, and I can't stop thinking about it. That's our enemy. I want to tell everybody in our student body that. And he said, is that okay? I said, sure. You don't need to. Why don't we dream of those kinds of things more? Our band's going to come. And close us here. And I'm going to, as they're getting set up, I'm, I'm just going to close you with this challenge. Jesus in Luke 14. You can read this later if you're trying to figure out, where do I read this week? Read the story of Luke 14, where Jesus 
describes the servant who represents the church going out into the byways and the alleys to the poor, to the marginalized, and inviting to God's table, to his feast. And when they're like, I have a seat there? Yes, you're invited. I came for you. And the servant comes back and says, I've done it, and all these people are coming, but there's still room at the table. And God says, go back out, find more, compel them. He uses the word compel. The church should compel outsiders to come in so that my table will be full, so that my house will be full. So here's my call to action. Don't just get involved in church activities. If you think that's the call today, it's maybe going to sound like it. Don't just get involved with church activities. Like, I kind of like this vision. This is a different kind of church I'm hearing about. I think, I think I'll help out some. That's not what I'm calling you to. I'm calling you to something much more significant. Commit yourself to becoming more and more and more the image of God. That our world and our neighbors and people inside your life need. Commit yourself to become more like Jesus. And yes, that means leaning into one another as the church. You being a stone and you being a stone. And together, Jesus is building his church out of us. We are emerging as his church. We need you to image God. We don't need pastors to stand on stages anymore and keep doing sermons and messages. And yeah, we want our music to be great. The stuff that happens on stage has has some significance for one hour on a Sunday. What we need is for you and all of us and me to be committed to living in our world, imaging God. And we can't do that without our church. We cannot do that without our church. So four things I'm challenging you to do as an immediate step today. First of all, pray for your church. Start praying for your church every day. I'm going to ask you to devote five minutes a day. And if you forget one day, it's okay. God loves you, and I love you. Don't believe that old stuff. Oh, no, I can't. I'm going to be in trouble. Let's start praying every day, five minutes a day, for God to use our church, for God to speak life, that we would tell our stories honestly, that people would be compelled. By the old version of me, you, and something beautiful that's happening inside of us. Second challenge is connect in community here. Yes, prioritize our Sunday mornings. But it's not, this is not the sum total of who we are. You need community during the week. You need relationships. You need to be venting out the heavy stress, the uncertainty, the fear. We need that. That's a picture of the New Testament church. Breathing life into one another and being encouraged. Our men's fire pit group kicks off for the fall tomorrow night. We meet outside undercover when it's raining and around fire pits on Monday nights. This is all on your app, by the way, the Dulles Church app. We're going to start watching The Chosen again this fall. We watched season one last year. It's great. We watch an episode or part of an episode of The Chosen. We talk about the life of Jesus. A mom's group has formed. There's talk of a new women's group forming. Turn a coffee into a group. You will not survive spiritually on your own. You will not. If you try to go Sunday afternoon through Saturday night on your own, outside of community, you will not survive spiritually. Invest financially. We're becoming a culture of generosity here. Give, not as a favor to the church, that's sympathy. We don't need your sympathy. We need investors 
who are excited about the church being God's primary source of life on planet Earth. I mean, I just believe it. I believe God has chosen to use the people of his church to be what reveals his reality. There's many ways to give. Website, church app, text phone number, box in our lobby. You can give stocks. Amy and I give 10% of everything we earn, and there are trips that we can't do because of that, and there are certain things that we just we don't have or experience because we give 10% of everything we earn to our church, and we don't do it like, dang, this kind of sucks. I just said sucks. I just said it again. Sorry. I, we don't think that way. We think we get to contribute to the greatest idea emerging on planet Earth. Start giving a percentage. Just do it as a spiritual practice and see what God does in your own life. See what he does in your own provision and join a team. Join a team here. Try out a team. Will you dream this with me? We're not trying to be perfect. When we stumble, when you have a discouraging week, when someone next to you has a discouraging week, which is going to happen, let's be the church for one another. Let's pick each other up. Let's dream together. Let's be the voice and hands and heart of Jesus in this world. And I'm telling you, we're going to see amazing things happen around us. And we'll give God all the credit. Jesus, we will give you all the credit for the great things that we see happen. <laughs>